All right, here we go. We're going to start off with part two for a little chat with Jeremiah and Vicky Curley, two of my favorite people, two musicians, just having a good time. We're just chatting, talking about music, traveling, and just what we're all up to. And anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this stuff. And uh, like I said, Jeremiah is the, that was my intro song. And you'll find all his contact information in the show notes. Keeping that hammer down all across the nation Checking cities off his list Sharing stories of the road right here on his station You are listening to the Kingfish Yes, you've tuned in to the Kingfish Radio Network. Expand your mind on the open road with Kingfish right here. If you know, for people who want to listen. You know, and then I'll put the links up in the show notes, but it seems to me like Spotify is the place where I'm going to find most that I find most of your music. Yeah, they're all delivered to the same platforms. Uh, Spotify is a good one. Apple Music, Google Play, you name it, I should be there. So, but Spotify is the most popular platform right now, and I'm I'm definitely there. I think when I listen to you, because I listen to the couple of different platforms, because I go to see what this plays out on some of them, and I, I'd have to say Spotify is it delivers it the best for me. That it, at least it seems that way to me, anyway. What do you mean, sound wise, or if it's if it's uh, shuffling, just yeah, my song? Yeah, just the way they shuffle, and you know, you know, you got to listen to a few commercials here and there, but it's not a big deal, you know. And it uh-huh. it's, it just seems like it's a. Uh, the easiest one to deal with you know they open up the fastest uh i get a more of an assortment of your stuff i don't hear uh repeats very often you know that kind of thing you know and then even you... from even from the studio album to the live stuff i think it, i think does I, it recognize those i think i play i hear more live stuff there than i hear the studio stuff was that the links that you sent me was that from spotify yeah i think it was spotify because that was mostly live stuff yeah, I think I think maybe that's why I like it because when they start playing the rotation, they play the live stuff first. You'll hear some of the studio stuff, but I I really do think the live stuff is is just it's where you shine. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know, I mean, it, the other stuff's good too. It's just that in a live audience, you just sound more into it. You know, you sound more there. You know, it just mm-hmm. it's I don't know. It's almost like you're I don't know. It's, I just like the live stuff better. I can't put words to it. Yeah, I I ran into that problem early on with my studio stuff in the band because in in the Jack Swift band, we were very live-centered as well. I mean, we would play one song for 20 minutes. We were totally improvisational. So when we went into the studio and we didn't have anybody to watch or listen to us or dance or, you know, react to what we were doing, it was really weird to just sort of stand there and play for each other like it was practice. So when those when we did two albums, I, I noticed that it was just a little bit 
lackluster. It sounded good, but it just missed the energy that gives me the high of playing. And I then when I started my first album in 2011, I decided to actually bring people into the studio. And I had just a couple of people or, you know, three, four, five people just come in and sit in front of me while I record it. Of course, they had to be really quiet and they couldn't sing or anything, but just seeing their faces helped me a lot. That's a great idea. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't work for me for obvious reasons, but uh, <laughs> that's actually a really great idea. What was your What was your favorite live venue to perform in? Uh, probably the Riviera in Geneseo. It's and that was in the Home Roots tour when I went, it was on my last tour actually that I did in 2016 or 17. And on that tour, I went across country and ended it in my hometown of Geneseo, New York. And while I was growing up, there was this movie theater that was just closed down. It was called the Riviera. And my parents went there. They were high school sweethearts. So they went there to watch movies like in the other generation above mine, everybody's parents, they all went to this place, but it was closed down for my whole childhood. Then in 2017, it opened back up. And I always thought about what it would be like to go in there and maybe play music or just do something there. But I never could because it was an event. Uh, it was closed down event space. So when I heard it was opened back up, I called them up like right away and I said, hey, can I play at the at the Riviera? And they said, sure, here's how much it costs to rent it. It costs $500 to rent it. And then I basically charged uh, $10 for people to get in. So I, I rented it, set it up and everything. And I brought my sound system the day of. It was the last show of the tour. And I brought my sound system out. They had their own sound system there. But I stepped up on stage and I looked at the way that the theater was built and it was just acoustically perfect. So I started playing just as a, a sound test. And I didn't need any sound reinforcement at all, which is even better. Like if the more that I can take out of the way of the listener to just hearing me, the better. So I, whenever I can, I just like to play acoustically 100% no sound system at all so this was one of those times and it was the biggest place that I've ever been able to do that just because it was of the way it was built and it was awesome it was amazing I didn't make any money on the show I uh, completely broke even but it was worth every every second every everything leading up to that was completely worth it and you got your name out there <laughs> yeah where where were you when you did the song, the Bob Tail, about the, the trucker song? I was in my, I was in, on the deck in my, uh, you mean when I wrote it or? No, um, where you performed it on the, one of the links that King sent me had that song. It was the first song that I actually listened to. Um, uh, it so might it have been. Was in a live, um, it was in a live venue. I was just wondering where. That was, oh, geez, I forget the name of the place, like 18th and 
I don't remember what the name of the place was. It's just a corner, street corner. It was like this little art studio thing. And they have, um, they have shows there, like random shows. That one was another event that I set up and I rented the facility to do that because in Seattle, it's very hard to get paid for shows. It's almost impossible because venues will not pay you. They just won't. So uh, I decided to see if I could make uh, an event where artists actually get paid. So I had four musicians and two artists for this thing called Supporting Sound Showcase. And I found sponsors for it. So I went out and I basically said, okay, this is what I want to do. Who wants to get, who wants to pay for me to do this? And, and I basically said, this is what you get. You get a Break Room Balladeer episode. That's what really kicked off the Break Room Balladeer series was this supporting sound. You get a Break Room Balladeer episode. You get uh, an ad in the program. You get all the promotion, you get everything that goes along with having a, an event, you know, uh, things at the show, all this stuff. Uh, and I ended up getting several sponsors. And at the end of the event, everybody, even the artists, the artists usually don't get paid for just showing up and having their stuff on display. They usually only get commissions for their artwork. Uh, but I paid them as if they performed. Everybody got paid. So wow. it was great. Wow, that is so cool. It's a great idea. And it's a great step out in faith, too. <laughs> it was so much fun. Uh, it was so much fun. I Really, I don't understand why venues don't do stuff like this. Because if just little old me could figure it out. I mean, it was a lot of work. But yeah. it's still worth it because you encourage art and Seattle right now is in a place that artists are really struggling because nobody is encouraging them. Nobody wants their stuff and the venues don't want to help promote it. So, uh, which is pretty much the reason why I wanted to get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. Makes sense. So it was fun. Though. It was, it was a fun event. Well, we certainly cannot ever complete a chat with you without discussing cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> cowboy boots. So tell us about the origin of the cowboy boots adventure. So when my brother was 16, uh, he got his first pair of cowboy boots. And I thought that they were really cool. I didn't, I didn't ever think about wearing cowboy boots until I saw him wear them. And then I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to get a pair too. <laughs> so I got a pair of cowboy boots and I really liked them. I would wear them to uh, the community college that I went to and just all over the place. It was great. I, I thought, they, thought they were very interesting. And when I wore them, I just felt more like me, I guess. Uh, which is a common thing when it comes to cowboy boots from what I hear now. And as I enjoyed these boots, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go get another pair. So I got another pair that I could wear for the winter, which had a rubber sole um, and was a little bit more of a beater boot. So I could wear and not care about it as much. Uh, and then 
After that, I was like, well, I have two brown boots. What do I do when I need to wear black clothes? Because you can't mix browns and blacks. It looks dumb. So I got a black boot. And then after that, I started taking all my friends to the boot store that was near our house to get boots. And every time somebody wanted to go, I would be like, all right, let's go get boots. And then one time when uh, my buddy Alex Kruder went to go get some boots, I saw this exotic pair of Cayman boots, which is a South American alligator. It's just really small. And I saw these boots. I tried them on. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is uh, horrible because now I have to leave with these boots. So that was for <laughs> my first four boots. Uh, and then I would just wear them like I didn't even think it was that big of a deal because it's just it was just sort of my thing. I was the dude who wears boots uh, at college, at work. Like, that's just my thing. People have their things. I was the boot guy because I was in upstate New York. Nobody else wears boots in upstate New York. You don't see them on a regular occasion. So we moved to Phoenix. It was very normal there. I kept wearing the boots. Moved to Seattle. Not so normal there. And it got to the point where uh, I was doing so much touring that my boots, all of the pairs ended up getting holes in the sole except for one. And that was my nice fancy pair. And then I couldn't really wear them. Um, because I didn't have a job and I was mainly trying to focus on music. So my funds were low. So I, I eventually had to go back to work after I toured, I found a job, which is a great thing. Um, when you go to college, you can just go get a job whenever and sort of just sort of say, okay, I'm going to just work on recording and writing music for the next two years or so until I, until I can go on tour again, just to get some money. And I did that. I got eventually got enough money to fix all my boots and I started wearing them again on a regular basis. And I like, it's, I never thought it was that big of a deal to, to wear boots. Uh, but since I'm a marketer, I always look for reasons to get my music out there. And I always do this keyword research to see what kinds of content I could make, what kind of businesses I can collaborate with, what I can do to make myself more known as a, a, a personal brand and also as a musician. So I, I searched all the things that I was interested in. You know, I was doing a lot of wine content with Beyonce because she has uh, her cert certification in uh, wine and I was like, I could do content about that. You know, I kind of like comic books. I can, might be able to do some content about that. And I was like, oh, what about cowboy boots? Let's see if anybody is doing content about cowboy boots. So I searched to see who was searching about cowboy boots. And there's a lot of people searching. Like, I, I can just go into Google and they give you the data. Like, data is awesome. You can make content for people who are searching. You make exactly what people want to see and bring value to them. And I was like, wow, is this really a thing? Is cowboy boots really that popular of a search term right now? And is there enough content for, for the people who are looking for this stuff uh, to be satisfied? So I made a video. I was just like, screw it. I just did this really silly video that I called three arguable facts about cowboy boots, <laughs> which is, doesn't make any sense. But I was like, screw it. I'm just going to sit here and talk. And it did really well. Like It got thousands of views. So I was like... <laughs> Oh, is there something here? So I'll try another one. 
that one did okay. It didn't do as well. So I was like, well, I got to try another one. Then each one got more and more and more views. And I got more and more subscribers. And eventually people were like, dude, you got to make more videos. So <laughs> to doing video a week about cowboy boots. And now I'm up to two videos a week about cowboy boots. And brands, cowboy boot brands are starting to reach out to me to collaborate with and another cowboy brand actually paid me to go down to Mexico with him as he is preparing to release his new boot line. So he wants to he wants to make all this content about his journey releasing his first boot. So I get freelance marketing jobs out of it now too. Uh, it's all the beauty of networking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's the internet. Like the internet is amazing. There would never be the opportunity for somebody to make a, a random show about cowboy boot reviews or cowboy boot culture or cowboy boot style on television. Never. It would never. T I mean, even if there was the slight interest of an audience, the networks would shut it down so fast it wouldn't even be funny. But because YouTube exists and the internet. I can make whatever video I want about cowboy boots just to see what will happen. And it's created this amazing community of people. And I feel so honored. And I can't even believe that uh, people are watching these videos and being so affected by them. It's just, it just, it blows my mind every time I think about it because there are not only people who like to see the cowboy boots and what it's like and what they are sort of trying to make different brands and stuff. But there's also young kids uh, who are trying to figure out if cowboy boots are for them. And I have been asked several times to do videos about, you know, what to do about uh, bullying if you like cowboy boots or, you know, how should you wear cowboy boots if you're insecure about wearing them and it's really interesting and it's wow. yeah it's a very <clears throat> very careful place for me because i want to make sure that i am the role model that they need and it, i'm i'm really paying attention more than any time else of what i say and what i do and i think that making these videos have have definitely made me reflect on myself as a person and to ensure that I'm making the right choices moving forward since it's since I'm more public than I ever have been, even though it's just like 2,000 subscribers. But those 2,000 subscribers right now mean the world to me. Absolutely. Well, isn't that, isn't that you know, the, the nice thing about, you know, the, the internet, YouTube, podcasting? You know, before there were gatekeepers that could say your stuff's not good enough or it's good enough. And now you can say, look, I think it's good enough and I'm going to throw it out there. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't like it, that's fine. And if, if a thousand people don't like it, that's fine. But if a hundred people really do like it, then that's, that's better because you'd rather have a hundred people that really love it than a thousand people that just think it's okay anyway. Yeah. And even, and it's not even about, me thinking that it's good or if anybody thinks that there's that that they like it i didn't think that my first video was good uh there's still several 
cowboy boot videos that I don't think are good that lots of people like. So it's just about trying for me, you know? And I think that if just more people just tried and was like, screw it, I'm going to do a video right now about this, I think people would find much more opportunities uh, and be presented with much more interesting things to do because I would have never imagined that I would be making money off of doing cowboy boot videos a year ago. It would, it doesn't, didn't even cross my mind, but now it's like, I'm getting revenue from YouTube ads. I'm getting revenue from doing freelance things for cowboy boot companies. And it's completely changed my perspective about what is possible to do with somebody's life to do with my life or anybody else's for that matter, because we have this amazing thing called the internet. Well, all I know is I'm waiting for the Jeremiah Craig cowboy boot line. And when I, when they come out, you're not the only one. I'm telling you (laughs) when, when they come out, I will go buy a pair. I'm not a big cowboy boot wearer, but I will go buy a pair. It will be a while. It will be uh, a while, but I wasn't ever really thinking about it until some people, had comments on my videos and they were like, when are you going to make your own line? And I, I have no plans on what it's going to be. I would love to sometime because I just imagine that as being a part of my brand as a musician. Uh, I, I, I want to make the biggest positive impact with my music and my content and just being me overall. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty positive dude anyways. I mean, everybody gets down. Like I get angry, I get shitty, I get anxious. So, but overall, I think I'm kind of a happy guy. So I just want other people to see that. I remember one time in gym class, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Uh, when I was a kid, we were like doing laps on the the basketball court or something like that right we were just doing these sprints like the suicides is what they called them right and the whole time like i just got this grin on my face when i'm just doing it 100 percent. and i remember the coach uh coach reed he was like jc there's must be something wrong with you because every time i look over at you and you're running you got this huge smirk on your face (laughs) I'm just ha- I'm just a happy dude. <laughs> that's good. Hey, that sounds good to me. Better better to be smirking or smiling than crying or frowning. Yeah, true that. My I understanding agree. is that it takes less miles, less muscles to smile than it does to frown. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like the way it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> I have to know. I just have to ask this question. Have you traumatized any more chipmunks lately? No, I have not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I probably won't waste my time on chipmunks. I did it. I did catch the chipmunk with the butterfly net. And <laughs> since then, I just like, what? Chipmunks are just there. I, I know I can catch you if I need to. Don't need to prove it again. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what was more amazing. Your determination to actually catch that chipmunk or the idea that the thing kept coming back. <laughs> I mean, how many times did you miss and the thing still kept coming back? <laughs> Animals are silly like that. You know, they're, they're great. 
I mean, I hunted and I hunted small game and small game is still my favorite thing to hunt. Uh, rabbits, squirrels, uh, they're all like that. They just think that they're safe as soon as everything quiets down and then they come back out. And it's like your memory is really that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I swear oh, goodness. It's to feed other things. And I think a chipmunk is one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite the entertainment. <laughs> oh my goodness. My phone just lit up. You know, every time my phone light lights up, I freak out right now because I think the baby's coming. <laughs> well, hey, yeah. I usually don't get excited about a lot of things, so it's like it's, it's kind of making me nervous. Too young to be a grandfather. Too beautiful, too. <laughs> well, just keep telling yourself that. Right? Well, nobody Stay else. Stay pop. Nobody, <laughs> nobody else will, so. That's right. I, you know, so I gotta, uh, you know, it, it, you know, Stacy, she's like, oh, I can't, you know, she doesn't want to admit it, but she's overly excited. So. Well, see, the, the, the exciting part about this is you take the baby, you keep the baby for a while. Then you give the baby back to mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my daughter's 29, has no interest in getting married or having children. So I'll just have to be content with being Nana to her cat. I think I was lucky just to have Justin survive, much less his kid. <laughs> and, the thing, I, I, and, he, and he knows it too, so I don't have to, I don't have to worry about watching him. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, and he, and he remembers everything, so, so there's no there's no getting out of that. But you know, here's He'd the like thing: to remind you too. Well, you know, things are different now. You know, it, when I was he was born, I had to work every day, but now he's going to take the next three months off. Take you know, and he can do that, and it's it's kind of nice. You know, there's a little bit more, but he can still stay in touch with the world, like like we were talking about with the internet stuff or seeing music or videos or whatever. It's just amazing how it's made life somewhat better in a lot of ways, but a little more complicated in other ways. I, mean, I don't think we're used to it as a society yet. I don't know that we'll ever be <laughs> in many ways. Well, that's because things keep changing so fast. Yes, you know? that was the next thing I was going to share. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so here's a question for you. Jeremiah, when you were traveling and you were doing, uh, you know, let's say the Jack Swift band, because how many members were in the band? There were six at its uh, height, but we toured with four. Oh my goodness! So, so we, what did you travel in? What was it? A van, a bus, and how far did you go? We toured in two different vehicles. One was uh, a Jeep Cherokee, and the other was a Honda Civic. So the rhythm section was in the Honda Civic, and uh, me and the saxophone player were in the Jeep Cherokee. And we just went around the Northeast. So we, we toured New York State, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Ohio. Well, that's still pretty big territory. That uh, would you guys, you know, you slept in the, you slept in the car quite often or you guys got hooked? No, and that one we stayed with family. So that one we set up strategically and stayed with family members. And luckily enough, because it was in the Northeast, everybody had a hometown in a different state. <laughs> So <laughs> I love it. it just worked out. 
so that we could stay at my parents' house in upstate New York. We could play, stay at the parents of the drummer in Pennsylvania, parents of the saxophone player in Ohio, and then in Buffalo, the parents of the bass player. So it just worked out. That's how we planned it. It wasn't that hard. Like when, when, I, when I told the crew that I wanted to have a tour, like I had everybody come together. I think they were pretty uh, curious about what they were going to do. Because so I was like, band meeting tonight at, you know, the cafe on campus. And we met and I said, I think we can go on tour. I think we should go on tour this summer if you guys are interested because it was pretty much the last summer that everybody was going to be there before graduation. We had one more year. And uh, I don't think that they really thought that I could do it. I don't think that anybody really could thought that I could do, which is a, a common thing. I mean, the chipmunk, nobody thought that I could catch the chipmunk in the, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the butterfly net either. Um, but I, I was like, I think we could do this. Let me, let me, if you guys are in, uh, I, I will book it. And four guys said, yeah, um, four out of five or six. I don't remember if, uh, the other saxophone player was there. Uh, so I, then, then I booked it. I got 20 shows in five weeks. So it was across four States. So it was pretty cool. And, and then, uh, when we went on tour, it was it was awesome. It, I mean, that's the way it worked out. That I, it was it was the most obvious way to set up a first tour. Why not go places that we know we can draw people, which would be the hometowns of everybody. I imagine was that was that your first experience with booking stuff? No, I'd book stuff for Jack Swift. A lot like I booked us so much in upstate New York I pretty much saturated us nobody nobody there was a couple of shows where just nobody would show up because we were playing so much and that's where I learned to kind of throttle my shows and booking because if you book yourself so much in one area there's only so many times that you can promote yourself to everybody and keep the interest of everybody at some point it just becomes less of a big deal uh and then it becomes just not so much of a big deal and sort of normal for you to be playing every weekend in the same city which is another reason why i wanted to go on tour is because i wanted to play but i also wanted people to show up so it's an interesting thing like musicians have never been able to play in the same place for a very long time on a regular basis and have it be a big deal unless you're like uh chuck berry and then you own your own bar and then you play there every uh but he had to get to that point right so for any independent musician they need to tour and be in different places to make themselves more known to more people and I didn't know that then. All I was told then and all that I saw was you need to play as much as possible in order to get known. So that's what I did. But that didn't work. And, and mainly, I think it also was because of the Internet. More musicians were doing more online and less on 
the actual venues and stuff. And it, and it wasn't until later that I realized that maybe the touring isn't the way to do it anymore. I went on three tours as a solo musician in like from 2015 to 2017. And I focused more on the tour and the traditional way of exposing myself to different crowds and less on the internet. The internet was secondary. Making content from the tours was secondary. Now I tour with content in mind. Like if nobody shows up to the show, that's okay because I'm doing it for content anyways, because you're not going to get paid for shows anymore. So few people actually pay you, which is kind of a shame. And it's not very encouraging to new musicians, uh, but it forces you to figure out where you're going to get your money. And I, I failed. I ran out of money because I focused on that other version first. And now I was able to quit my job uh, like a year and a half ago and focus just on the content again. So I'm focusing on music, but with content in mind to reach the world instead of specific shows to reach 20 people in an area. I mean, I still love that. Don't get me wrong. But as far as time commitment is concerned, to focus my time on the internet is a much better use of my time and money than to spend hours and weeks and months trying to book a show or a tour. It just takes a lot of work. And I'm seeing much more returns monetarily and attention-wise by focusing more online now. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I can imagine, but it's, it's part of the, the paradigm has changed. Mm-hmm. And you're you're at the leading edge of it as a as a young musician, who I don't think I'm I'm leading. I'm still there. Has been plenty of musicians who have done it in like 2008, 2009, 2012. Uh, it just took me longer to learn it because I didn't really figure it out. I didn't. I knew what I was kind of supposed to be doing, and I was dabbling, but it wasn't until I was like. Maybe I should just go all in on this internet thing instead of trying to go all in on touring. I mean, touring looks good when you do it and you share it. It looks good, but if 20 people watch the video of you touring, it's not worth it. And you had like three people there and you spent months trying to book those shows. Instead, I can do coffee and musics every morning live stream on every platform that I have and engage with an audience like I'm there, but not leave. And it's way better because they don't have to pay to see me. They can see me whenever they want. They don't have to be live. They can watch me later and I can make interesting videos that I just put up or I can make a song and then just put it out. I don't, I don't need to tour as much. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But until I have somebody to actually book those shows for me, uh, I'm going to be spending most of my time trying to build my personal brand through music and other content online just because it's the return is so much better now. It really is. The, the live music scene around the United States is dying. 
which is is for good and bad, I guess. Uh, and it's uh, it, it's forcing me and other musicians to figure out what the hell they're gonna do in order to make a living off their music. was a guest at the estate he tried eating as proper as possible but using tiny silverware for finger foods felt ridiculously comical so he laid down his fork and knife and put some bread rolls in his pockets and then made an old Irish exit like a new Irish rocket The station called him for questioning For apparently he was acting too suspicious And the estate owners charged him with insanity When he was just following tradition So he told them where to meet him His visit was too shocking Irish exit like a new Irish rocket While they were all where he told them he'd be He went back to the empty estate He ate the rest of the food All with his hands and left with the silverware in place And he's a proud man Cause he'll make an old Irish exit like a new Irish rocket Yes, he sold the silverware and plates to their neighbors across the road And he never looked back even once as he disappeared into the unknown he left all the money at a free clinic that night Even though the doctor had locked it And he made an old Irish exit like a new Irish rocket